Hey everyone, welcome to the Tailored Tech Talk podcast, a weekly look into the world of DevOps and tailored software solutions. We're your hosts, Ben Hayden and Chris Reynolds. And this week, we'll be talking in depth about building your very own DevOps control center in one of Chris and I's favorite platforms, Retool. In the DevOps space, there's a lot of run this script or SSH into this box, set this in var, and then run this thing, all of which can be elevated to a custom internal UI tool for your organization or business through Retool. Yeah, I, I think that the one of the things that's so magical about Retool, and I realize we talk about Retool all the time, um, and I, I suspect we're going to continue doing this because it's just it yep. meets such a, a critical need. But this sort of imagines Retool as a UI for AWS, like a UI in front of AWS that gives you this sort of uh, clickable interface to do to, to run runbooks really is largely what it is. Um, which we talked about so, last week. Right. Which we talked about last week. One of the problems that you run into in DevOps in general, and we hear this a lot is um, a lot of the runbooks that people need to deploy just, and again, remember that runbooks are really just a sequence of steps that have to be taken when something occurs. So it could be like, uh, you could have some kind of down event or you could have regular maintenance. It could just be, we were having a conversation today with some friends of ours, um, about just doing things like, uh, sealed secrets or something in Kubernetes. And that process is kind of uncomfortable um, when you're doing that across a, a group in a DevOps organization. And so there are a lot of things that would make it way easier and better if you could put those actions behind a user interface where uh, you didn't have to know everything about every tiny detail and get every step right. You could just click a button that says, you know, deploy uh, test to staging and it would just do it. Uh, there's some yep. tools for this, obviously, and like GitHub and GitLab have some promotion processes. So that's just one example. But there's a ton of examples that are out there that do it. So our theory, uh, and you guys are going to be, uh, our, you, our listeners, our lovely listeners, are going <laughs> to be around uh, as we attempt to build a DevOps control center using, um, using Retool. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the underlying uh, ways in which we've already figured out how to trigger events in AWS that essentially gives you the full AWS capability behind retool uh, UI events. So we'll talk about that as we go along. But before we do that, Ben, kind of get us warmed up to the idea of uh, what base technologies we like to implement whenever we roll out a new retool. Yeah, awesome. So uh, while we're going to walk you all through how we're gonna design our own DevOps control center. We have built a, what I would call like a business control center or like an internal back office tool uh, with these with these technologies. So like no matter your domain, these AWS services, I think are still your backbone. Um, first off is uh, having a database. Uh, Retool does offer a Retool DB that um, is actually free with the free plan. Um, so if you're not sure about your use case, you can definitely, uh, play there and, and try it out. But, uh, Chris and I like to recommend our customers owning their data. Uh, and what that means to us at least is taking a, um, something like an Aurora serverless, something that is small in the compute cost and it can scale up as needed. 
um, and have that uh, Aurora skill um, uh, feature set. Uh, so you take Aurora Serverless, um, something MySQL or Postgres flavor, something SQL, because uh, Retool has a lot of great tooling in place for um, building easy uh, CRUD apps. So adding data to a table, removing it, updating it, and deleting. Um, I guess that's was it. Create, retrieve, update, delete. That is. Uh, so doing all that sort of stuff on a on a database. Um, so we're going ahead and spin up Aurora Serverless. The next uh, thing after you have your data is uh, interacting with your data. And there's two different ways you could do this. Um, you can build an API gateway. Um, or actually, there's tons of ways you could do this. There are two ways that we have done this so far. Uh, one is an API gateway where um, they the different endpoints, the REST endpoints are actually Lambda proxies. So um, you can build a full-fledged REST API, add it as a resource inside of Retool to find the endpoints and let Retool call your API on your behalf with API keys, authentication, um, all of that just uh, saved inside of Retool. So that's a great way um, if you know you're going to need your API in a few different places besides just Retool. Um, if it's actually something that uh, needs to be exposed and um, a little bit more put together. Another one that is great for just a, hey, this is exposing it to retool only, and um, it's something that we just need to kick off something else, is uh, using Lambda function URLs. Um, and uh, this is something that's fairly new to AWS, but uh, there's a concept of being able to actually expose a Lambda to be invoked via a HTTP request. Um, and Chris actually did some R and D on this. Um, and I'll let him talk about that. What I was, I'm trying to remember what I was trying to solve for. And the, the answer to that is if you've, if you've done API gateway before, you know why I did it. It's API gateway is, is, <laughs> is actually, it's great. It's an incredible tool for building full on APIs. And so if you need something like open API specs, um, documentation. I mean, it does a lot for you. It's magical. It's really, really good, but yep. it's, it's heavy for, I need, I want to click a button and execute a run book. That's what I want to do. And I want to do it in whatever language I want. And I want to be completely free to even cross pollinate languages and all of that. So I'm going to give you the use case that, that I, I was trying to solve for. I had a, a program that needed to go out and pull a report from a website. So you actually have to log in, you had to log in, you had to use two-factor authentication. Um, someday we'll describe how we do two-factor authentication in a script. Yeah. Um, but you can use some OTP libraries to do that. And then once you get access to the website you're trying to get access to, it pulled this report down uh, and the report came down in an Excel format. Uh, then I needed Python to pull that uh, report in, do some massage work on it, and then output a, a PDF overlay. Um, and so this PDF overlay then was being put into S3. And, and so from the user experience side, what I wanted is for uh, one of our customers to be able to click a button and just sort of like immediately see the PDF overlay. That was the idea, like super simple. Um, it, it should be super simple to do this. Now, it really give you the ability to like run Python under the hood and do big complex things like that. But if you can get into the AWS ecosystem behind it, you can not only do that, you can do anything. I mean, you can do, you know, AI operations, you can do amazing, amazing things. The world is your oyster once you can get behind AWS. And so my theory yep. was 
that if I could design a Lambda function that I could kick off by clicking a button that I then had us to the AWS SDK through Bodo for us, we typically use Python. Um, and, and once I have that, I can do anything. So I wrote a Lambda function that kicked off uh, a script, an ECS script, and the ECS uh, task was a fully containerized version of the app I was just telling you about that hits the website, downloads the thing, and and it's cool because I mean that's running Node for the for to, to run Playwright, and then after that it kicks off Python to do the the, the massaging into the PDF, um, and and the thing works like a charm. You have to do some there's some trickery to get that. Uh, Lambda function to do what you want it to do. You have to make sure you enable cores, uh, but that Lambda function is just a, an endpoint, a URL endpoint that you can click and then surround it with some security stuff to make sure that people can't just execute random things in your AWS account. So we did some work there. Um, and then, right. uh, but from, from there, you have full access to do anything you want. You've now got access to Lambda, Boto 3. You can run anything that you want or, or really any AWS SDK. So if you like Node, you've got, you know, the Node SDK and all that. So uh, it worked literally flawlessly. It was amazing. And, and that triggered this idea in my mind that if you wanted to do anything in your infrastructure, you could do this and execute it from a retool front end. And so the very first thing I thought of was, man, this would be, you know how powerful this is for DevOps teams that would love to have a little UI that does all the hard things that they hate doing. Um, you know, just, just the list goes on forever. You could just make a list of all the hard stuff you have to do uh, as a DevOps team to administer AWS or to run scripts or to do EKS things in Kubernetes or you know anything, anything that you need, right? You could do all of this stuff. And so uh, that triggered this idea in our mind that we could, we could build a DevOps control center in Retool and give DevOps a customized UI uh, to to deploy those things. So that's a super powerful idea. And while we haven't implemented yep. this yet, we thought it would be an interesting thought experiment for our listeners to to just think about like, oh man, what 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 all could be done this way? And like Ben said, we've already done this from the business perspective, from the business side. We haven't built a DevOps control center yet, but we have a business control center that does do this exact thing. And, uh, and so the concept is, is actually exactly the same. It's just, uh, creating some more tooling for your DevOps team to be able to do things in an easier fashion and automated kickoff of those runbooks. Yeah. So the retool, it's a, it's kind of like a melting pot. It's a very, um, uh, United States of America, <laughs> you know, 4th of July is coming up. It's the melting pot of, uh, uh, <laughs> no code tools. Um, but it's a great spot if you all have uh, third-party services. Almost every company does have multiple APIs that are exposed to them that they could automate. And that's DevOps as well. Um, so, you know, I can think of a few ideas where um, if you wanted to build a set of tooling for on-call jobs um, that you want to, uh, say, sites down and you know it's not the greatest solution in the world, but you know if you restart the web workers, things are gonna come back online and at least get out of the out of the um uh hot death zone. spiral or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 death spiral. Um so uh say you could build a, a retool to do that, 
and then say that works but you also thought man it would be awesome if it could go ahead and just close that incident too um yeah. and say you have page duty or ops genie api access you could add that as a resource as well inside of your retool fire it off after you've um restarted web workers so you know all that stuff could be done inside of an aws lambda or if you wanted to you could also build it inside of retool retool does have um great uh integrations as well um like first party integrations that are are a little bit different than just adding them as like an api resource um but uh any of that stuff it's um slack kind of does that same thing as far as like being able to build tools that connect to everything um that's that's really always been something that draws chris and i in retool is just like the the first experience where we can be like yeah we want to expose this on a web interface and we can actually do it within two or three hours like that that return on investment is un unparalleled for chris and i as far as uh ui uh development is not our first um choice or our first skill set that i would have list on my resume um <laughs> so it's it's one of those things that i know what i want like i i know conceptually like how i want the screen to work but like the amount of time that it takes for me to like get them on the screen and get it to look in a way that I think is decent is just, it's not worth my time whenever, especially when there's tools like retool out there uh, yeah. that could do it in half the time. Man, I totally agree. I actually think, you know, um, we've talked about this before. I think I'm not sure that we've talked much about like Figma, like doing Figma design work, but you know, in a traditional layout of something like this, you'd have a designer or maybe you've got the skills to lay out a UI in, in Figma when you get to the end of that and, and you're doing that as a thinking tool, like let's start there, right? Sure. This is like, uh, you're doing that because as you lay it out, you're like, no, that's not quite right. Oh, I need a button over here. Oh, I'm missing a table to expose this other thing. When you get done with the Figma design, it, you know, the dream of Figma, I guess, is, and there's some tooling that, that makes some of this possible, is that you can just sort of like transform that into a React app or something. But, um, but usually at the end of a Figma design session, you've got a nice interactive design, but it doesn't do anything. It's not like a functional program. At the end of doing this in Retool, you have a functional program. It, it works. And, and so I think what I like the best about it is that, it allows you to, to iterate insanely quickly and come out of it with a functional working app that yep. does the thing that you need it to do. That, that is just exceptionally powerful. And if you decide down the road that you want to be able to turn that into a Next.js app or you know whatever, some sort of uh, uh, Django app or something, you can, do, you can do that. You can totally do that. But you should probably do your, proof of, your functional proof of concept in Retool because you can do it faster than anything else. And I think that's one of the reasons Retool took off because yeah. the idea is Retool is supposed to be internal tooling. Nobody really wants to spend a lot of money on this non-differentiated UI. Like the UI, yeah. if the UI is gorgeous and it's like, it, you know, it's going to win design awards, you make zero extra dollars for that. You make <laughs> nothing because it's an internal tool. Like you're using it inside your, inside your organization. So, you know, you look at a retool app, most of the time it's not gorgeous. You're not like, you're not going to win a design award for it, but it is functional and it does exactly the thing you need it to do. 
And I think, Ben, you, you, you've done a little more with this than I have, but I think they actually have a mobile application as well that allows yep. you to execute all this stuff directly on your phone. Yeah, yeah, you you could um, install the retool app and and get access to to your apps, and that I definitely. Then you have like a mobile control center, which I feel like in the DevOps space is just fantastic. Like we we have talked about how important it is to document your way to a vacation on our last podcast or one before that, um, and it is it, it's imperative, but. At the end of the day, sometimes you're still on call and you need to do the thing that you always do whenever something happens. Um, and just if you can automate it enough to get it into retool, that's still less probably automation than making the problem never happen. Right. Like we all understand yeah, that there's no like question like there's percentages done as far as automation and fixing issues and things like that. So um, it's just trying to find that right balance of ROI. Um, and yeah, if you can build that and expose it as a mobile app for your DevOps team, that would be huge. Um, and then just to go back to the, you know, going through and like building a custom UI and eventually wanting to like switch it to something like Django or next, the, another thing that a team would need to at least uh, weigh before they did that would be to explore the, um, business plans. Uh, there's a business plan and there's enterprise enterprise is the custom pricing. Uh, so not many of our listeners probably are going to go up to that level, but the business plan of retool does have app theming and uh, you can do third-party authentication through the, through the app. So if you don't want to use it via retool uh, authentication and uh, branding, so you can add custom logos and colors, um, things like that. So it even has an offline mode. Um, so you can do a lot. You can do a lot if you're willing to spend 50 bucks a month per user which, you know, in the um, in the view of what we're talking about on this podcast of it being a DevOps team tool, uh, and but you want it to look really slick and um, look like it's your company, it's probably not going to cost you that much money for your team of four or five DevOps engineers. Um, and if you have four to five DevOps engineers, yeah, you're doing really a well. Big, that's a pretty like big a, DevOps team the, in most... Yeah, it's a pretty big most team. Of the organizations we see. I totally agree. I mean, I think, I think this is an area that is not it is not fully developed. I mean, there's just really a lot of opportunity here. DevOps tends to get put into the hands of just the DevOps engineers know how to do it. You know, like, okay, they know how to do it. We'll solve that yeah. problem. And you know, if you've been in that, if you've been in that world before that one of the hard things about doing it is that even if you do thoroughly document your processes, it's really hard to keep that documentation up to date where you can hand it off. But if you can keep the app to where it basically does the things that it needs it to do, uh, then it's so much easier. It's just, it's just more flexibility with your ability to do things like take vacations, sick days, family days, that kind of thing, uh, and have somebody else on the DevOps team uh, at least have the tooling in place to solve problems. And if they are a DevOps person worth their salt, then they actually also have the ability to look under the hood to see what's being executed from that front end as well. So if anything needs to be modified, yeah. it, it is... It, it, I consider it essentially perfect documentation. I know that this is completely, people disagree with me on this all the time. This is Chris's hot take. Chris's hot take is that code documentation is generally not worth it. <laughs> and usually um, usually has uh, that, that classic like uh, store shelf where there's, you know, uh, soda on the shelf and it, and the and the label underneath says like I don't know bread or something uh, you know you get right. that kind of stuff yeah. happening all the time but the code tells you exactly 
what it's doing. And so you just need to be able to read the code and you should be good to go. If, if it doesn't tell you exactly what it's doing, the code probably needs to be rewritten. Um, and that, that is something that, uh, that's maybe that should be another podcast in of itself of us being gray bearded (laughs) and wizened to, to how, how code should be written. Cause I've definitely written, um, any developers that have been with me, uh, on different teams know that I have written a few clever things in my life. Um, and that's not something to be proud of, but it is something that is true. Uh, clever stuff, uh, in your code is definitely, uh, prone to misunderstanding. And then whenever someone comes in and needs to make an update, cause all code will have to be modified and yep. changed throughout its life cycle. The, the harder time they're going to have in understanding it and then they might update it in a way that it was not expected to, to work and then you have problems. I, I do feel so, like that would be that uh, would be a I good agree. podcast episode we could talk about lessons learned over the last 20 years about both clever code and overly dry code I mean we've run into this problem a lot too yeah. where you end up with uh, recently we've we've tried to get everything that we write to where the repository, the single repository is all you need to understand how to modify the code and and do the things that you need to do, where you're almost optimizing for readability and understandability from the people who are gonna go take over when you're not around or whatever. That that's I think that's a value that as you get further along in your career, you you really start to appreciate that like, look, you you don't want one repo that's dependent on another that's dependent on seven others. If you end up in that world, you, yeah. you understand coming in from, from, uh, you know, never seeing any of it before you're literally having to put eight repos, nine repos of context in your head at the same time. And that is like next to impossible. I mean, it's hours and hours and hours of work. It, it, it actually is like chemically impossible for our brains. Like we can hold about four levels yep. of context and that's like, yeah. and that's a lot. Um, I, I shared a, a cognitive load paper on my LinkedIn um, that kind of went over this and every every dependency that you add is another layer um, to, to your problem that you're going to have to potentially problem solve yeah. at some point. Um, it's definitely not a great day whenever you open up your VS code or whatever and you're going to get start started working on your business logic and you're like, oh, wait, my Python dependencies aren't installing right. anymore. Um, and then you have to go and blow four hours trying to figure out what happened to your Python environment, remove all of that and clean it all up. So um, I, I definitely think cognitive load and that sort of stuff, that it would be a, that'd be a fun series. It's slightly, slightly outside of the DevOps, but part of my opinions around writing code and, and dependencies come from the kinds of messes I've had to clean up as oh, a I DevOps totally, engineer. I totally agree with that. Time. The reality is you find out where the poo hits the fan whenever you have to deploy the thing. I mean, yeah. that's just sort of part of the way it goes. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I do think that plays into in this conversation is the reason we talked about using Lambda function URLs. Lambda function, like it's any engineer in the world can understand. I hit this URL and it fires some code and I can read the, you know, most Lambda functions are like 25 lines of code. I mean, they're short. They're supposed to be, right? Sure. Um, that's easy to digest. But if you are a, a programmer that doesn't have a lot of familiarity with something like API Gateway, that's a lot more context. API Gateway is a lot more context in your head than a Lambda function URL is. And so 
this idea of just keeping yeah. it as simple as freaking possible to, to get everything stood up and working and easy to debug and easy to change. Again, the time can come where you convert it to API gateway and you convert the app into something else or whatever. You can do all of that. Um, and there are great reasons. I love API gateway. I really, really love API gateway for the right job. And I think this is one of the examples where early yeah. in the process of building out internal tooling, if you can do it with a Lambda function URL, you probably should. I just think it's easier. Yeah. It, it, it all boils down to the, the ROI. Yeah. If, if it's a, if you're building something that may be consumed by a end customer or an end user that is not retool, you, it's probably worth the investment yeah. to, to um, actually design your API. That's the, I think that's the thing about API gateway that that gets me every time I'm involved in it. And it is like a good API actually has to be designed. Yeah. And that's not something that you think about or talk about a lot, but how the resources work, how the different interactions with the API works. It's uh, it definitely takes forethought. And a lot of times whenever you're just building a tool where you're like, I want to click a button and it do the thing. You're not going to spend a lot of time on the API design anyways. Right. Like you're just not. So it's probably going to be poorly designed or just enough designed um, so that you probably be better suited to just either try to use the Lambda function URL. Um, it's also possible that I was thinking about it while we were talking that you could um, find some way to execute like a, an SNS sort of like topic, uh, like send a message on an SNS topic somehow via retool. Sure. That would be worth experimenting at some point. Um, just another way to kind of like get into the um, ecosystem, depending on what you need to do. Um, but there's a there's a lot of options there uh, that um, are probably simpler than um, yeah API gateway. Like I, I mean, another tried and true classic would be to add a row add a row to a table in your database and then have a timed lambda function that Pulls fires it. once an hour. Yeah. And says, is the thing there? That, am I supposed to do my thing yet? Right. And then does it. So, like, I mean, you can definitely come up with simple stuff that works that has been happening since 1985. <laughs> and it's been fine. And Things then, worked. They were okay. So, like, it's... Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's a lot of it, right? Is, is uh, you know, Chris and I tried to um, pride ourselves on the unsexy work, but also just the unsexy solutions, too, because they're solid. And once they're in place... They stand the test of time. Yeah, and so. and it and it meets the criteria that I have, which is that the solution should be as simple as possible and no simpler, so that you can get to the point that you iterate it towards being perfect eventually. It's never going to be perfect, but towards perfection. The reality is that so many there was a great article about this that's probably worth getting into at some point, but uh, but this whole idea that programmers have a tendency to solve problems that they don't have solve problems that never exist or never pop up Solve problems that don't exist. Yeah. I read this yeah. too. What a great article. Oh. I mean, and th this is an example it of was that. Amazing. People get into this idea of like, well, what if, blah, and what if, blah, yeah, okay, look, yeah. how about we solve that when the problem comes? Um, and that's not to discount, like making sure and that your stuff is secure, making sure that you're thinking through that, like that stuff has to right. be paramount, but don't go off and solve 500 problems that you don't have yet. Let's just solve the problem you have and iterate towards uh, a better and better solution over time. Yeah, I, I think that that article actually came to mind when we were talking about not uh, uh, overusing dry. Yeah. 
I feel oh, like yeah. is a lot of what will come from someone of like, well, I might need to use these three lines of code that are the same in both these methods again. So I'm going to go and create this interface that they can inherit <laughs> from. And all you've done is make it really annoying to change it where that one time, the other function, you needed to do one thing, not that same thing anymore. And it's just, it's, it's a pain to update. Yeah. Um, because you're worried about a problem that was never going to exist. That's exactly right. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, you guys will, will be brought up to date as we keep pushing this DevOps control center and business control center uh, concept further uh, using retool as the UI and some of these backend tricks that we find. So uh, be sure to let us know if you run into any questions. Uh, we, we get a couple from time to time. If you attempt to implement any of this stuff and you want to know something, let us know. We'll bring it up on the next podcast and try to answer it. Yeah. At some point, Ben, we might even have to do a Q&A. That'd be cool. Would you like that? Would be cool. listener. I like listener. That. Bobby asked <laughs> this question. Right now, <laughs> we uh, we don't get a lot of those, but uh, maybe at some Bobby point. drop tables. Yep, <laughs> little Bobby drop tables. All right, uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, that wraps it up for this week's Tailored Tech Talk podcast. Make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, or directly by subscribing to our mailing list. We'll be back next week. Have a good one.